The rest of us can turn to Revelation chapter 12, verse 10 and 11. Okay, so I'm just going to read from Revelation chapter 10, or chapter 12, verses 10 and 11. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come, for the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down, he who accuses them before our God night and day. And he overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony, and they did not love their life even when faced with death. So over the last three weeks, we've been going through a sermon series titled Victory Through the Cross. And it was a whole series to really help us remember as a Christian community the sufficiency of what Jesus actually accomplished on the cross and how in that sacrifice he made for us, we can walk in victory. And there were really two truths to pull away from that ser those sermon series. And Kevin, if you could throw it up there on the... On the uh, PowerPoint, that'd be great. So the two truths we'll be looking at over the last three, four weeks have been that the cross was the basis of God's total provision for every believer. And secondly, it was the basis for Jesus' total defeat of Satan. Now we spoke over and over about the reality that Satan can't change the fact that he's a defeated enemy. But it doesn't mean that he's not up to no good and he has a tactic instead to change the reality of the Christian experience. And so he tries to deceive us and blind us to the reality of what actually Christ accomplished for us to stop us walking in victory and getting us to get sidetracked and really to tempt us to walk away from him altogether. So today's message is the last in this, this sermon series, but it's again another sermon to help us strengthen our faith, not to fall to his tactics, not to make us blind to the reality of the victory of what Christ did for us on the cross. Now I want you to notice here, according to Revelation, how one gains victory over the devil. He says, they, the Christians, overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony. Because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony. This is pretty powerful for us because that would mean if we've overcome him by the blood of the lamb and the word of the testimony, we should probably know what actually the blood of the lamb fully accomplished for us and how that applies in our life. I've got a PowerPoint up here if you just want to look at this one. Really what Revelation 12 and 10 and 11 is saying is that we overcome Satan when we testify personally about what the Word of God says the blood of Jesus does for us. So let's spend some time together understanding what, in fact, the power of the blood did for us so that we know how to apply that to our lives to gain victory of the devil because we don't want to fall short of what God's glory is for our lives. Now, I'm going to give you six ways Six things, I should say, that the, the blood of the Lamb accomplished for us and how we apply this to our lives. And so it's going to require us to go through the Bible and uh, read one verse here, one verse there. So we're going to be all over the place today, but please follow along with me. 
Now, these aren't exhaustive either. I'm going to do six today, but I actually think there's more than six, but I just stopped at six because of time. <laughs> kind of ran out. There's a lot that the blood does, and I would encourage you to study that subject matter. Why don't we turn to Ephesians chapter 1, first of all, to look at what the first thing that the blood promises for us. It says in here, in chapter 1 and verse 7, that in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the richness of his grace. The first thing that the blood does for us is it redeems us. It redeems us. What does the word redemption mean or to redeem? The word really means to buy back to buy back, and it was a term in the Greco-Roman world very familiar to the Christian people who were accustomed to master-slave relationships. I would like, therefore, to demonstrate this whole thing about what Christ did for us with two volunteer kids. And I need two kids that have never been up here before that want to come up and be my helpers. Two brand new, Sailor and... Okay, Hannah? Okay, come on up. Awesome. Sailor, I love how enthusiastic you always are here to uh, make yourself known and available. That's great. That's awesome. Okay. So. Let's pretend that um, Hannah is the master and Sailor is the slave. Okay, and she happens to work for her, and maybe she maybe she got um, Sailor in, as a prisoner of war, and so now she's taken her as a prisoner of war, and now she works in her household as a slave to do the jobs that the master requires. Let's say I have an interest in getting Sailor for myself. I may be a, a long lost parent who wants to like find their child and, and change things. So, my goal is to redeem her. And I do that through a ransom. So a ransom is the purchase price for a slave to redeem them, to buy them back and give them liberty. So, this pencil is made out of gold. You can't tell that, but it's made out of gold. And it's worth an awful lot of money. And so, the master and I, Hannah and I, we agree that the gold pen is worth the price of sailor's redemption. So I give her my ransom. So she takes the gold, and then Sailor comes and hangs out with me. So now I've redeemed her with a ransom price, and I've bought her back. Okay? So that's how it works in the slave trade. Now here's what's really cool about Jesus Christ. So if you want to go back over there, and you guys can be together again. Okay. The scripture teaches that we, as human beings, are enslaved. We're enslaved to the powers of darkness. We're enslaved to sin. We're going to eventually die spiritually and physically. And we are enslaved to the devil, ultimately, because it's his world and sin and death belong to him. So we're enslaved or captivity to the devil. So let's use the same analogy now. So sailor represents the, the, uh, the humanity, the person. And sorry about this, Hannah, but you represent the devil, <laughs> okay? And you are a master over her because she can't stop sinning. 
and she's guilty before God, and she can't change the reality that she's going to stop on her own strength. And so eternal life is not going to be given to her. And the master has a hold of her. But God loves, but God loves Sailor. So what he does is he comes up with a plan. He is going to buy her back from the devil. And so what he does, he comes to earth, he dies on the cross, and if Sailor puts faith, let's say I'm Jesus, she puts her faith in me, I now, pre I, re I redeem her from this cl the, cl the, what's it called? The clasp of the devil, and she now belongs to me, Jesus Christ. And what's the ransom price that I've paid for her? Not a pen, not gold, I've given my blood. I've laid down my life, and I've bought her back and freed her from slavery. Somebody please read out loud 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 to the church. Thank you, girls. Appreciate you. Good job. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. Whoever gets it first can just belt it out with all your might, all your lungs, all your glory. Amen. You are bought, you are, ran the, you are bought, redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. The ransom, the purchase paid was his life. So how does this apply to our lives? Well, it shows you that you have value to God, doesn't it? Shows that you're extremely valuable to him, that he would lay his own life down to purchase you back. Now, some of you I know may have temptations. You struggle with self-significance self like worth or identity in times like that you just want to give up or pack in the towel if you will in times like that the devil has got is tempting you to lose sight of the cross he's basically saying to you you aren't worth anything you have no value there's nothing worth living for but our feelings are not the important thing in that moment it's the truth about what God says about us and he says to you and I, listen, you are extremely valuable. I do see a massive purpose for your life, so much so that I was willing to lay down my life and buy you with my precious blood. That is the favor I have over your life. Others may be tempted to do more to earn Christ's favor, always trying to do more, be more. And again, what can you possibly do or say more than what Christ has done or said for you. He laid down his life on the cross so that you didn't have to work so hard to be accepted. He accepts you in the condition that you are. So in times like that, it's important to be able to proclaim a truth. Remember, Jesus, is, Jesus taught us the method of going toe-to-toe -to -toe with the devil 40 days in the wilderness, it was a truth encounter with a lie. A truth encounter with a lie. That's how we went against them all the time. And so we're going to proclaim this truth out loud as a church. Just go back, Kevin. We're going to say this out loud together, okay? Here we go. Through the blood of Jesus, I have been redeemed 
out of the bondage of sin, death, and the hand of the devil. Amen. Everyone turn to 1 John 1, 6 and 7. Okay, the next thing that uh, the blood of Christ does for us is it cleanses us. It cleanses us. Let's look at chapter 1, verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sins. Now, I struggled this whole week trying to figure out what in the world does John mean by all this. And uh, I, again, I ran out of time to probably fully do it justice. But I want to just highlight one or two things that I can say for absolute certainty. Number one, I want you to notice the tense of the cleansing. See, we always think of he cleansed, cleansed past, and you know, cleansed in the past. He cleanses at the cross of sin, and that's true. But he doesn't speak about this being a, a past action, but a present one and a continuous one. He says, if we walk in the light and we have fellowship with one another, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. It's a, it's a now reality and a continuous one into the future. Now, this is, really, this is really neat because, again, we really come to Jesus then with a simple plea. It's not because we haven't been cleansed before but we need to be continually cleansed to enjoy the fellowship with God. And notice it's conditional, right? He says, if you walk in the light, if you walk in the light as he himself is in the light, and you have fellowship with one another, then the blood of Jesus does that. So the opposite must be true. If you don't walk in the light, which is, again, walk as a habitual life of obedience, right? You don't walk in the light and have fellowship with your Christian community, then the, 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 the cleansing now is not a reality. The opposite has to be true. But what I like about this verse, he says that it's kind of clear when Christians walk in the light because you will have fellowship with the community. If we do not have fellowship with one another, then one party or both parties are not walking in the light. Two Christians who are in right relationship with God will also naturally be in right relationship with one another. So the closer we walk with him, the closer we will walk with each other, and the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sins. I don't know about you, but sometimes we can struggle with guilt. Guilt. The fact that we feel like no matter what we do, we can't seem to do better. Don't know where to turn. Jesus says in, in these, or John says, I should say, about Jesus, that if you walk in the light, you, yeah, you know, you, you, you return to him, he will cleanse you now of the things that you feel guilty for. The devil wants you to live in condemnation. He wants you to make you think that there's no hope for you. But what John is saying is, if you just walk in the light of Christ and have fellowship with one another, that's a reality that we can have now and in the future. It's a continued thing. And what I love about what Darcy read in Psalm 51, 
This is great because remember, David was already in relationship with God. Already had a relationship, but he sinned badly against him with Uriah and Bathsheba. So when he, when he wrote his um, psalm, listen to the words that he said. Purify me with hyssop, which is a branch they use to put blood on the door, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. So cleanse me, purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I'll be whiter than snow. He's already in relationship with God, but he's sinned greatly against him. So the relationship's broken, but he knows by going back to him, returning to the light, that cleansing will happen now again. So don't walk in condemnation. Don't walk in guilt. Return to the light. So let's read this out together. While I am walking in the light, the blood of Christ cleanses me now and continually from all sin. The next thing that the blood of Christ does for us is it justifies us. So if you can turn to Romans 5, 8, and 9, that would be great. Okay, let's read this together. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. The word justified is often substituted with the word righteous or, right, or to be declared righteous. If you are justified, you are declared right before God's eyes, or to, you are made right before God. It's the implicit meaning then with, with justification and righteousness is that you're free from guilt. If you went to court, you'd be acquitted from the charges. And what Paul is saying here is there's no other means by which you can be acquitted of guilt, be in right standing with God, and be righteous in his, eye, in his eyes, outside of the blood of Christ. And so I want to bring Hannah and Sailor up here again to do another illustration of what justification looks like and how this happens through the cross of Christ. All right. Sailor, can you put this on? It's big, but that's okay. It is generous. It's mine. Oh. <laughs> okay, awesome. All right. So here's how justification works. In verse 8, he says, Notice that God loves us, that while we were still, still sinners, Christ died for us. While we're still sinners. So I'm going to be, um, um, I'll be uh, God here. You can be Jesus, okay? And you can be the sinner with the big black stain, okay? So, 
if Sailor goes through life on her own merits, gossiping, lying, stealing, being unloving, losing her temper, right? Getting drunk, having wild parties when her parents are gone, right? All these things, right? Just uh, being selfish, seeking to be independent of God and doing life, all these things. As she's living that lifestyle, she has sin that marks her body or marks her soul. She's got this black stain over her life. Hannah, being God, can't be in her presence because there's sin in the way. But God loves Sailor, and so he wants to do something to reconcile her to himself and declare her in right standing with her, with him. But again, sin can't be part of it. So God sends uh, Jesus, which I guess is me, right? Or are you Jesus? You're Jesus. Okay, I'm God. Sorry, I got this whole thing mixed up. You're Jesus. So I send you to die on the cross for sailor. But you don't have a black stain on your life because you are sinless. But here's the great thing. When you died on the cross, you shed your blood for sailor. You shed your blood for sailor. Sailor goes through life now, and she comes to the end of her rope. She dies. She stands before God on Judgment Day. Sailor comes before me, comes before me. How does she get to be in my presence? Because of what he did for her. So here's the amazing thing. When I see Sailor now, when I see Sailor, this is what she looks like because of my son. She is made righteous because of Jesus' righteousness. The blood covers her, and therefore I can accept her in my presence. So I don't even see the sin. I don't even see the guilt. The guilt's in the past, and she's reconciled to me. Good job. Okay, thanks. We are made right because of the righteousness of him. I learned this phrase this week. It's really good. Justified. Because of Christ's righteousness, and if you put your faith in him, you, um, I am just as if I'd never sinned. I am just as if I'd never sinned. I'm justified. Now, how does this apply? Well, the devil's the accuser. He's the accuser. He wants you and I to walk in condemnation. He doesn't want us to let go of the past. He wants us to sit there. But what does the Lord say? What's the truth encounter you, you need? The past is the past. I've been justified by the blood of Christ. There's nothing I can do but believe that by faith and walk in that truth. When you do that, the devil has nothing he can say against you. But it's a truth battle. And so you have to apply the blood of Christ over your life to walk in victory. So why don't we say this out loud together? Through the blood of Jesus, I am justified, not guilty, reckoned righteous, made righteous, just as if I'd never sinned.
Turn now with me to Hebrews 13 and verse 12. All right, the next thing the blood of Christ does for us is it sanctifies us. Let's look at Hebrews 13 and verse 12. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside the gate. The word sanctification can be substituted for the word holiness. If you're sanctified, you're holy, and if you're holy, you're sanctified. Now, to be sanctified has two components to it. It's kind of like the negative and the positive. Something you have to put on, something you have to take off. For you to be sanctified, you have to be, um, the negative part is you have to be set apart from sin. Sin that's part of your life has to be broken off of you. So when you're sanctified, you are set apart from sin, but then on the positive side, you're dedicated to God. So you're set apart from sin in order to be consecrated or dedicated to God. Now the context of this verse here is interesting because what the Hebrew writer is referring to is the Day of Atonement. If you're not familiar with the Day of Atonement, it's it's pretty neat uh, um, celebration in the, uh, Israel's history. Basically once a year, you'd have this giant ceremony for the nation and a, the high priest would walk into the tabernacle or the temple to offer a sacrifice for the entire nation's sins. So let's say I'm the high priest and you're, you represent Israel. I would go in once a year into the Holy of Holies, which is the most sacred place in the temple where God dwelt, and I would, be, I would offer a blood sacrifice onto the Ark of the Covenant on the mercy seat called the Day of Atonement, and I would be doing the sin offering for the entire nation. In doing so, I would be sanctifying the people in terms of what their relationship looked like to the Lord because I would be covering their sins through this sacrifice. I would also then be dedicating the nation to the Lord. Now it's interesting that in that Day of Atonement sacrifice, the meat of the animal was not to be eaten inside the temple, but burned outside the camp. And pointing to Jesus then, he's talked previously in this whole chapter about basically the, the Holy of Holies, the, the Day of Atonement. And that's why he mentions that when he sanctified the people, you and I, he, did, he suffered outside the gate, outside the gate of the temple, which we know was Golgotha in, in Israel. So Jesus his blood was spilt, basically giving us access to the Holy of Holies where the high priest went, access to God with no barriers, but his body was sacrificed outside the temple walls. And so he's saying, look back to the Old Testament sacrifice to see how much better Christ's sacrifice is because blood and, the blood of animals could not actually take away your sins. They were symbolic of the taking away of sins. And so he's saying, 
um, through, the, through the blood of Christ that you and I can be made holy, made holy and walk in that and therefore set apart from sin in order to be dedicated to the Lord. Now, holiness in the Bible is always tied to obedience. It's always tied to obedience. In chapter, uh, in 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, verse 13, I'll just quickly read this to you. First Peter 1 Peter 1.13, he says, actually, if not, I'm, I guess I should get to the right book. Prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. We are told that we are to be holy because God is holy, and that's expressed in the way we live out our lives. It can be seen, it's tangible. Now since this is the reality for us, this also be quite the process, can be quite the process. Sometimes it will bring joy, but other times it will be quite painful, especially as we're dealing with sin in our own lives. But I think we, it's important to notice here that sanctification starts in a moment, but it's an ongoing journey. It's an ongoing journey. But again, we've been separated from sin and set apart to God, made holy with God's holiness to please him. So let's read this together. Through the blood of Jesus, I am sanctified, separated from sin, set apart to God, made holy with God's holiness. The next one that the blood of Christ did for us is give us access to the Father. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 22. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. What the writer of Hebrews is doing again is referring back to the day of atonement and the practice in the temple. It's really a back, a reference back to Leviticus 16. Again, when the priest would walk into the Holy of Holies, he would walk in with a bowl of incense, which would create a cloud that covered the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat where the blood was to be sprinkled. Before though, he got to the mercy seat between the veil and the actual Ark, which was a few feet, he would sprinkle blood seven times on the floor as he walked towards the mercy seat. Once he got to the mercy seat, he would then smear blood on it as well. But the key thing was this. It was through the blood 
that the holy, uh, the high priest had access to God. If he didn't walk in with blood, he would die on the spot. I, I found this out later from um, some other people who have sort of studied Jewish history, but they used to tie a rope around the ankle of the high priest and put bells on him. Because if he did anything wrong in terms of the, the preparations, the people who were um, going to have to uh, drag him out didn't want to go in to get him if he died because they'd die too. So they put a rope around their ankle so they could at least tow him out if something ever happened. But they took it seriously. But if there was no blood, you would be dead. You can't, the, the, whole, the whole tabernacle in the temple was teaching one thing. You cannot access God without a proper sacrifice of blood in play. And this is amazing because it says here that we have the confidence to enter the holy place. In other words, we have confidence to have access straight to God by the blood of Jesus. And it's a new and living way according to verse 20. Because there's no temple anymore. The body of Christ was the temple that gave us access to the Father. Application-wise, this is a big deal. You know how amazing it is that you and I, because of the blood of Christ, have no hindrances to our ability to communicate with the Father? You don't have to do anything extra of penance, paying money, you know, do, like beating yourself with a, like a whip or whatever you want to do or starving yourself to death to, to get God to listen. All of the access to the Father is because of the blood of the Son. Everything Christ did for you on the cross. What an amazing thing to think that there's no barriers and that any time of your day and life that you can approach the king of the universe with no hindrances and no boundaries. It's an amazing thing. So why don't we read this out loud together? Thank you, Lord, that through the sprinkled blood of Jesus, I have access into your presence. And the final thing we're going to look at today is in Hebrews 9, verse 11 through 12. And we're not going to spend very much time here. But the power of the blood gives us eternal life. Now, these are all, all six things are pointing to that reality anyway. It's hard to always separate these things, but I love what Hebrews 10 specifically says, or Hebrews 9 specifically says in verse 11 through 12. But when Christ appeared as a high priest on the, of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of his creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood, he entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. There's so much we could say about this. Like I said, I'm just going to keep it very short. I don't think you and I will ever fully comprehend how great a gift this is to have eternal life until we actually have eternal life. <laughs> we always uh, kind of try to guess about what that's going to be like. But like I said, I think only once we're in eternity will we fully appreciate the sacrifice that Christ made. Application-wise, though, what does this really give us? It gives us hope. Tremendous hope. I know we often live in a world that's broken and relationships are hard and things are tough going. But again, the Christian 
the Christian promise is this, is that through Christ, this day is just like a fleeting moment. And one day we will stand and be with the Lord in eternity. All the things of this world that have created pain and brokenness will be gone and redeemed by the Lord himself. Again, all made through the precious blood of Christ. The devil wants you to give up. He wants you to think that all there is to life is this world and to fixate on it so that you can get down and distraught. But again, what's the truth encounter that we need? The fact that this world is only but a vapor of water compared to eternity of what Christ has prepared for us. So let's read this together. Through the blood of Jesus, I have hope beyond this world, the promise of the gift of eternal life. Okay, I want to share a couple things before we close that are really important. And I want you all to turn to Exodus chapter 12 to finish with our last verse. Exodus 12, 21. A wonderful sneeze in heaven. Hey, Stu. <laughs> There'll be no dust there, maybe. <laughs> Exodus twelve twenty-one to 23. These are fantastic verses. Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and take for yourselves lambs according to your families and slay the Passover lamb. You shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood which is in the basin and apply some of the blood that is in the basin to the lintel and the two doorposts, and none of you shall go outside the door of his house until morning. For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lintel on the doorposts, the Lord will not pass over the door and will not allow the sorry, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to come into your house to smite you. All right. Those of you who are familiar with this, this is the, the last Plague to free Israel from Egypt. It's the promise of God that he's going to kill the firstborn uh, males, animals, and, and humans in the land out of stubbornness to let Israel go. He tells them, if you do everything that I say, you will be freed from bondage, from slavery. What's important here is that the blood in the Passover sacrifice ensured the promises of God would be completed and that they would be protected. So the blood of the lamb ensured protection and the inheritance of promises. So each father then would choose a lamb for his family, sacrifice it, and if you notice in 21, the blood was to be caught in a basin. If the blood hit the ground and didn't go into the basin and make it in the doorframe, the promise and the protection of the blood is null and void. Notice he also says to take hyssop, which is a tree-like weed branch, dip it in the basin and put it on the doorposts. If they ignore the instruction of getting the blood 
properly transported from the basin to the doorpost and say use their hand and just smeared it like this, the promises are null and void, even though the blood's there. If they decide to ignore the instruction to stay inside the house when the angel of death flies over their home and they decide to go outside the door, the blood is of no avail. They're dead. By faith, how they treated the blood and how they obeyed the commands of God was extremely important to the point that it meant either life or death, protection or no protection, promises or no promises. The blood was one thing, but walking in faith to God's commands about how to approach the blood was the key. Isn't that the same in our lives as well? The blood of Christ is there for us. But the way we, we walk in the promises, the way we walk in the inheritance, the way we walk in the protection and all the provisions is by walking in obedience to him. We walk outside of obedience on a habitual lifestyle and we walk away from those promises. That's the Galatian church. Remember, he said, I forewarned you and I forewarn you now that if you practice such things, you will not inherit the kingdom. You who are returning to the law to be justified, to be redeemed, to be sanctified, to be given access, to have eternal life, to be cleansed, will not inherit the kingdom if you continue to do this. The devil wants us to lose sight of all these things. But we cannot presume on God's grace. He loves us clearly by all the illustrations we did up on stage and everything we talked about. He absolutely loves us. But we can't take advantage of that and ignore the blood of Christ and what he's accomplished for us. I want to finish with two stories just to show you how powerful the blood of Christ is. How powerful it is and what it really means in the spiritual realms. I've been learning a lot about um, the spiritual kingdoms. You know, Paul talks about our battles not against flesh and blood, but against the, the principalities of the air. I've been studying quite a bit in the last year about the, the spiritual realities of what it is to be a believer. And just like money acts as currency in the material world, blood acts as the spiritual currency in the spiritual world. I'll give you two examples. Actually, before I give you the examples, I want to just remind you about a Moabite king in 2 Kings chapter 3. He was losing a battle. And so what did he do to try to win the battle? He took his oldest son and sacrificed him to the gods of the land in belief that if he sacrificed and spilt his oldest son's blood publicly to the rest of the Moabite nation, that their gods would get enacted to be involved to win the battle. The practices of the Old Testament kings believed that blood was spiritual currency, that by blood being shed in this world, it impacts the spiritual world out there. And you know that that's the true in the occult today. 
witches and warlocks and everyone who's involved in that lifestyle, especially covens, which they do at night, requires the blood of animals and humans to bind their covenants and make them come to oath or make them come true or have power. Here's the two stories. I was reading about a man from Ghana, and the only name I could pronounce out of his whole name was the word Henry, so I'm going to call him Henry, but that's not his real name. But Henry wrote a testimony, and here's what the testimony said. He had just become a Christian. He was new to the faith. He was asked by a friend to go to a local traditional priest for what they called money rituals. They gave him an amount of money that was to be free to be shared with anyone that he would like. The result would be, by doing this, that he would actually get more money back in return for himself. In the ritual with the priest, though, he was told anyone who received that money was destined to die. And there was a satanic altar there in the priest's uh, precinct. And to get the rituals to sort of take root, the guy told him as a new Christian, it's going to require the blood of a human being to enforce this covenant to come true. Now, the guy said, I was new to the faith and I kind of got deceived into going to this guy. And thankfully the Lord, I don't know how, but rescued him out of that situation. He got out of Dodge. But here's the point. For that ritual to come true, the local witch doctor said, it requires the blood of a human in order for this covenant to be manifested and come to reality. Here's a cool story about the power of the blood in terms of what Christ can do or what the reality of his sacrifice actually means. Janice and I met a man uh, a couple years ago named Karsten. He was a pastor of a church for many years, and now he, um, he's still in ministry, but in a different vein. And he told me he was on the streets. He was on the streets in, I think, I was on maybe Ontario or Saskatchewan somewhere. And they were preaching the gospel and praying for people. A woman who was involved in the New Age movement, who was a witch, came up to him. And he said, Andrew, like, she was absolutely drop-dead gorgeous, beautiful in appearance. They were talking about spiritual things. And she was in agreement with much of what Karsten was saying. But Karsten knew, because she already told him that she was a witch, he knew that there was, there was a lot that they didn't agree upon, of course, and there's a vast, vast difference between them. Karsten, in his wisdom, knew where to go. So he says, if you and I are truly alike, if you're truly alike, then I would like you and I to shake hands and agree about the power and the blood of Jesus Christ and all he accomplished for us on the cross. Those are my words. It's something to do with that effect. But he invoked the blood of Christ into the conversation the woman would not reach out her hand. And here's the crazy thing. <laughs> As she walked away, he literally saw her transform into an old hag and, a wo and an old woman and then scamper off. Came up beautiful. When she walked away, wouldn't shake hands in the blood of Christ, walked away like an old hag. Power of blood of Christ. It's a spiritual currency in the spiritual realm. 
And so when the devil is trying to pull us down and trying to get us to like give up and to quit and to think differently than Christ wants us to, he's going to do everything in his power to destroy our lives. And so we need to learn how to apply the blood of Jesus to our lives. So I just pray that we stand in these six spiritual truths today and maybe walk in victory and experience all the promises and blessings of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we give you thanks for today. It's so hard to even imagine and comprehend all that the cross of Christ did for us. But today, Lord, I pray that uh, I'm thankful for you and your word that teaches us just some of the some of the things that you actually did for us and so that we can understand this and walk accordingly. I pray, Lord, for anyone who's hurting or broken or struggling today, Lord, that they would find this message encouraging and that they would start to walk in the truth as opposed to the, the lies the devils are that is feeding them. I pray, Lord, that um, they would hold on to these dearly and make it a practice to proclaim these things every day to gain victory the way you intended them to do. Thank you for the blood and the power and uh, everything that means for us. And may we walk in obedience to you out of love, not because we think we have to, but because we want to. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.